Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans, and if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero. This week on Monero Talk is sponsored by CakeWallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. CakeWallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. And by Sweetwater Digital Asset Consulting. Connecting new money with old money since 2018. CakeWallet and Sweetwater Digital are trusted and verified by the Monero community. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Richard Stallman, an American free software movement activist, programmer, and digital privacy activist best known for launching the GNU project and founding the Free Software Foundation. In this interview, Doug seeks to understand Richard's philosophy behind his activism, why his passion for providing humanity with more freedom and liberty through software and his pro-digital privacy stance does not make him more enthusiastic about a free software project like Monero. Monero Talk starts now. Okay. And uh, we might as well break right into it. So what... How would you define free software? You're, you're a free software advocate. That's what you're most no, known for. Uh, and a data privacy advocate. How would you? No, that's not what I advocate. I'll tell you, I'll explain okay. later. But first, I want to respond to the first point. Free software is software that respects the user's freedom. But there's a lot to say about what free software means. So rather than make me repeat it now, how about if you put on my TEDx talk, which in 14 minutes gives people a complete basic introduction. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll either edit that into the, this video or we'll, uh, we'll, put, we'll definitely put the link in the show notes. No, 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 no. Edit it into the video. We'll edit it people in. People will think that they can skip it. They'll assume that free software is similar to open source, and they know what open source is. Well, let, let's to get be. into it. So let's, wrong. Let's assume they watch the video. We'll we'll put it in here. I may put okay. it on the end just so it doesn't disrupt the flow of conversation. No, but no. I, I'm not even allowed to decide where here. I put my put it. This this you is my, my video, it. Richard. Well, we're doing this together, but I know what's needed. I For know a, that a lot of these liberty, short... you're, you're, you're quite demanding of others, I gotta well, say. Yes, there are a few things I'm really demanding about. And, and you, of course, you can delete this conversation. But the point Absolutely is, not. people who don't see that video will misunderstand all the rest of what I say. And if you put it at the end, they won't bother because they think it's not necessary. We will make sure they, they see that video. So, of course, they, I know that they can skip it if they want to go to that trouble, if they want to invite misunderstanding, but at least it won't be the default easiest path. Why, why did you start the free software movement? I wanted to have freedom in my computing and I wanted other programmers 
to have freedom in their computing. I wasn't thinking back in 1983 about uh, a world in which everyone used computers all the time. I know, of course, there were hobbyists, but they too were doing something of an exploratory nature, something that, was, that most people didn't do. And so it was for that kind of user that I thought about this. And I knew that with, but unlike most of them, I had lived in a world of free software for uh, something like 13, 12 years, you know, so I knew what f free software was as a way of life, the way of life of using software that you had control over and that respected your freedom. And by that time in 1983, most computer users did not have that experience. They only had the experience of non-free user subjugating software, which was controlled completely by its developer and enabled the developer to have power over the users. And when I looked at how they were living, I was disgusted by it. You were disgusted by the fact that most people were okay with not no, I was disgusted by what I saw, their way of life. Mm. They weren't disgusted by it because they didn't know any other way. They didn't have a standard of comparison, but I did. And I realized what a bad thing was taking over computing. But, but what really is the concern? So let's say I'm a guy, you know, I'm using, I'm using Facebook, I'm using Google, I'm using Zoom instead of big blue button. Uh, why, why the concern philosophically? What well, are you ultimately concerned about? Now, well, the original concern was that you're using software that you don't control. You don't decide what it does. Someone else decides what it's going to do to you or supposedly for you. But it's doing both at once. It's doing something for you and it's doing something to you at the same time. And you have no choice about either one. So... Uh, if the thing it's doing for you is annoying because it's not exactly what you want, you can't change that. You don't have the source code. And of course, you may not know what it's doing to you unless people figure it out. But even if you happen to know, you can't change that either. So it's basically a pile of injustice, and I don't want any part of that. And Go ahead. Of course, you're used to it. So you're used to obeying the, the, the boss's men in anything you do with a computer, and you hardly even notice. But I know what wrong is being done to you. And maybe I can show you. Well, you're in the 0.0001% of people that are capable of, of functioning without the use of proprietary software that which is often very user friendly uh, accommodating to the user actually i don't think that's true Go free ahead. software there's free software which is pretty user friendly also especially for the jobs that a lot of people want to do things like libra office for instance which is an office suite and it's as user friendly as any other 
graphical interface office suite. The thing is, there's something more important. Basically, is the software developed to serve its users or to control them and cheat them, manipulate them, spy on them, and any other bad thing the developer wants to put into it. Nowadays, something has got worse. Back in 1983, most non-free programs were developed to do useful things for the user, and that was all. So the user couldn't control how they did it or what they did, but what they did was serve the user. In that respect, they were honest back then. But that's, but that's not true anymore. Nowadays, non-free software is normally malware, meaning it's designed to mistreat the user. And mistreats the user in all sorts of ways. Look at gnu.org slash malware for lists. There are hundreds of examples of proprietary malware from the best known companies because it's normal to treat the user with contempt. You know, those who have power over others get used to that. They start thinking of the others as there to be manipulated. Essentially, they're uh, uh, prey, they're uh, victims, marks, and uh, so they hardly even consult their consciences about that. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, that's why I'm a Monero advocate. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, but you saw this at a very early stage. You, you saw this in the 80s when people were, uh, you know, Google didn't exist yet, obviously. The, these big behemoth uh, siren servers didn't exist yet that, that were collected. Well, there was nothing data. to do that with, right? There was no World but, Wide but Web. You saw that? You saw no. it coming? No. I didn't foresee anything. I saw what was happening then, and that was so bad I wouldn't stand for it. I Did said, you think it would get to this point as, as cool. the point that we're at? No. I was pretty, first of all, the specific goal was to develop a free software operating system. And then since it needed to have a technical design, I figured, I said, let's uh, imitate Unix. Let's make something that uh, is basically a compatible replacement for Unix, plus whatever improvements I could think of. You know, Unix didn't have an Emacs. Uh, so, but I wanted an Emacs, so I made sure there was one. Uh, we could add things that Unix didn't have, but the facilities of Unix that a user would want had to be there for upward compatibility's sake. Now, I was pretty sure we would finish developing a free replacement for Unix. However, how far that would get, I had no idea. I'm a pessimist by nature, but there's no better way to assure defeat than to give up. So it's never useful to give up. Do you believe that free software should naturally be adopted by people and it, sh it should be able to compete with well, proprietary software? You believe that proprietary software needs to be regulated Neither. So that, free, so that free software. Neither. Neither. 
How, so how do you? I neither uh, one because I don't look at it in those terms. In what terms do you look free, at? Non-free software is an injustice. I want to free people, but you can't force someone to be free. So I figure let's free the people who want freedom, and if you know the rest, well, uh, you can. Uh, lead a human to wisdom, but you can't make her think. So uh, the people who don't care about freedom, to whom it's not important, we can't stop them from going on being more and more mistreated, more and more helplessly subjugated. It's sad to think about, but uh, we can't do anything about that, at least not now. So you just want them to have the choice. You're not no, saying that No, people... I want them to be free, but I can't force them to be. Right. So, so I you're... want everyone to have freedom. And of course, not just in the software field, but the software field is where I have launched the campaign to do something about it. So you, your real mission is providing people the information so that they know no, that this problem no. exists. No? My mission is to free people. Okay. Well, we're, we're, on, a, we're on the same mission. You keep restating it in a way that isn't the same. Okay. Your mission is I, to free The goal is for people to be free. Ideally, everyone. If I only get part way there, well, that's partial success. It's better than giving up. It's better than not trying. But no, I won't say if someone knows about free software and says, I don't care whether I'm free or not. I love this convenience. Uh, well, that's failure. But what can I do? Right. Because uh, you can't win them all. Otherwise, you'd be infringing their freedoms, right? Their, their right to, to maybe some people are okay with, with giving well, up their privacy I would be glad to use a more convenient. Uh, well, those are two different questions, please. You just jumped from one topic to another. I'm careful and precise when I describe these philosophical questions. Okay. And snooping on users is not the same thing as using non-free software. They're related because yeah. nowadays non-free software generally snoops on users, but uh, they're not the same. And in fact, there are online disservices that will snoop on users, which can be accessed without any non-free software. You could use a free browser to talk to it and it doesn't send you JavaScript. So no non-free software is involved, but if you give data to that server, it will still snoop on, it will still mistreat you by saving that data and it shouldn't have that data. So uh, we do have to distinguish between these two issues, uh, restricting you by stopping you from changing the software you're using and snooping on you uh, by means of a, a service or a disservice as I call it. Okay, understood. But somebody who decides to use a Google or a Facebook and is cognizant of the fact that they're going to be snooped on or that their data is going to be taken, it's are you one person or two people? Any, many, many people. Are, are you okay with that person making that choice? 
no, it makes me very sad, but there's nothing I can do about it if person's mind is made up. Understood. You'll notice I refuse to use plural pronouns to refer to single individuals. Yeah, I just like the confusion that that introduces into English. And I've collected some examples of sentences which are some work to figure out because uh, the sentence says they or them and uh, there are two possible antecedents, one being singular and one being plural. Well, the way I say things, I use the singular pronouns person, per, and pers. And this way, you can tell it's a singular antecedent. So I can respect gender neutrality and non-binary gender in a way that doesn't forfeit grammatical agreement and therefore keeps English clear. Understood. I'm not on that level. I want to get into, because uh, I've heard some of your other interviews. Um, so let, let's talk more about data privacy. Um, let's talk about, actually, let's talk about cash. I heard you talking about the fact that you don't even uh, use a credit card or unless, unless you're required to in some instance. Well, why the is, only case why, where I use a credit card is for flights. For flights, because you can't, you can't use cash for flights. Well, you can't be anonymous on a flight. This is why I don't talk about data privacy. That opposing the issue in those terms goes in a direction that's not the one I want to go in when I think about what's going on. What I want is anonymity. Okay. Privacy, well, it's less clear. A lot of people uh, formulate the issue as data protection. And that's absolutely clearly wrong. Because that means let them collect the data and then try to regulate what they're going to do with it. But that's hopeless. I mean, we already know that the FBI or some equivalent can take all that data, the whole database, whatever it wants to. Uh, so uh, whatever regulations they're putting on have a gaping hole, and I'm not satisfied with them. I demand that the data not be collected. The only data that will not be abused are the data that are not collected. Once now, the database is collected, it will be misused. I, to I totally agree with that. So now th th we're going right where I want to go. So now, now the, the, the cypherpunk viewpoint of that is let's create technology that doesn't allow that collection to happen in the first place. Well, that we can do that for some kinds of uses. But keep in mind that whatever technology we create that won't prevent the face recognition camera in the street from recognizing us, right? There are systems that we own and that we intentionally use. And there, if we have control over them, we can stop them from giving away data about us. There are systems we use, but we don't own. For instance, the ISP, the, uh, phone company connection 
the phone network for wireless, in all these different systems that we talk to, or at least most of us talk to most of them. And those systems, though, don't belong to us. So we don't get to decide how they're designed. We don't get to decide how they will treat us. So if we want to stop them from mistreating us, we can't do it by the simple free software route. We can only do that by regulation, by law. Okay. And then there are the other systems, or can be the other systems that exist only to surveil us. And likewise, to stop them from doing dangerous, excessive surveillance, only law can do it. Now, we developed over centuries a protection against surveillance, and that is the search warrant. The requirement to justify specific cases of investigating specific people, not to allow government agencies to go fishing through everyone's lives all the time. That's too dangerous. But that is what uh, governments are allowing the internet to turn into. And China shows what that implies. And how about this cypherpunk belief, in addition to regu you know, regulation and supporting you know, the Fourth Amendment, uh, but then just building technology that essentially is resistant to collecting data. Obviously, it's not going to solve all problems. Like you said, it's not going to prevent cameras from recording us. Uh, but it could solve some problems. Is that, are, you, right. are you an advocate of, of those technologies? Oh, yes. In general, yes. For instance, I use Tor for my browsing, and I encrypt emails when I care about that. Uh, I, I don't want, I mean, I don't want to have to get everybody's public key. It would be too much trouble. So I do it when it's important to me. Now, how about with regards to, uh, you know, to communication and to, to money. Uh, so well, if we could talk about different things, communication, yes, I'm in favor of it. Uh, we have a program called GNU Jammy, mm -hmm. which does encrypted communication between users. And it also avoids having a server. There's no central server for it. However, when it comes to payments, I have a different goal in regard to privacy. Yeah, this is where I we think start that to divert. The individual, right, that's true. I think the individuals deserve anonymity in their purchases. More generally, purchasers deserve anonymity. But the stores they buy from must not be allowed to hide their sales. Not they must not be allowed to hide their revenue so that it all gets taxed. Understood. So this is what GNU Tyler is designed for. If, so uh, then are you, you actually, are you actually then, uh, I'll, I'll let you get to that too. So then are you actually opposed to, to cash because cash? No, I'm, I'm in favor of cash, but it's not easy to do transactions of, millions of dollars with cash. 
It's a big pain in the neck. You can do them with Bitcoin. Bitcoin's not truly anonymous, of course, uh, which is an, one of its drawbacks, but it is used for giant transactions. And if the uh, parties in the transaction are not identified, then that can be part of the global enormous practice of dodging taxes, which starves governments of the funds they need in order to do what the people need and transfers that money to the rich. And that's terribly harmful. So that's why GNU Tyler is designed so that the seller is identified. The seller gets a transaction record, but in order to turn that into money, the seller has to go to the mint, to the bank, whatever you call it, and say, here I am, here's my ID, and I got this transaction, please turn it into money for me. Is it is it a distributed system? Is it is it blockchain based? Is it a There's no blockchain? It uses encryption using David Chalm's blind signatures. Okay. So like, there's uh, no blockchain and there's no proof of work and there's no enormous waste of energy. Another and, advantage. And there's a, there's ultimately a server though that's, that's yes, there is. these transactions. There's one, I don't know how many servers there would be, but there's one service in logical terms that you would buy your tolers from. Well, there can be more than one system of tower tokens. There can be separate systems with separate servers, but each kind of tower token, for instance, suppose the European Union uh, approves a system of tower tokens, there would be one agency which would issue them. So there would need to be a trusted agency that would that yes, would run it would be connected with money. your bank, and you know, and you'd be able to tell your bank, buy me some Tyler tokens. That, by the way, is already being tested. Now I, I have to swing back because you, you told me your you know your real mission is freedom, freedom for everyone, and here we have this uh, somewhat magical technology that's been invented. It's not that magical. It's free software. You can. A, you can read the documents that- No, 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 I'm, I'm referring to, to, uh, to, to Bitcoin and Monero, oh. which essentially is allowing people, uh, giving people the liberty to essentially use money that's not controlled by any state entity, that's uh, not controlled by any corporation. Uh, and with Monero going even further, allowing them to completely transact uh, with with pretty much complete privacy and anonymity, giving well, them the liberty. That's a good point, but it's not magic. It's not magic. The source code is published. It is free software. So if you really want to know how it works, no one is stopping you from reading how it works. And of course, there are also descriptions of how it works. It's complicated. Sure. Now, I once read some of the description of how Bitcoin works. Uh, I didn't remember it. And uh, I haven't gone back to look again because I have no reason to spend my time doing that. It's, it's not something I'm going to use 
that knowledge is not something I'm going to use in anything I do. Hmm. So, but that's okay. I, I don't think it's a bad thing that there is free software I use, which I haven't read the source code of. The point is the user community controls that software. Yes. yes. How do we stop it from being malware? The answer is various users read parts of it from time to time. And so they have a chance of spotting any malware and removing it. Whereas with non-free software, you can't read the source code. And even if you knew there was malware in it, you couldn't remove it. Which is why non-free software generally is full of malware. But why aren't you out there promoting Bitcoin and Monero? If they because align as I said, they're not the things I want to use. And there are a number of reasons. One thing about Bitcoin is it's a currency and its value fluctuates. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. I don't want to speculate in currency. I, that's not in accord with my temperament. There are people who do currency speculation. I suppose that I would lose a lot of money if I tried it. That's not the kind of thing I'm good at. So I don't want to speculate. I don't mm. want to have my money in volatile currencies. Are you okay with other people using it and attributing I'm not against. I'm not against other people's doing currency speculation, if that's what you mean. I, I'm not against people's using Bitcoin, except partially because of one thing, namely how much energy it uses up. Aside from that, I don't think it's doing terrible harm. Although I guess it could, you know, if it became a big engine of diverting, uh, diverting profits so that they can't be traced, I would consider that rather harmful. Whether Bitcoin is actually used much for that, I don't know. Well, I mean, Bitcoin is, you know, it's, it's, it's not good at that at all, right? So it's a completely transparent ledger where every transaction can be tracked and traced. Well, actually, people are apparently using Bitcoin on, uh, on, uh, non-physical internet sites to buy various kinds of criminal things, even perhaps murders. Sure, and they're, they're, a lot of them are going to get are getting caught for it and eventually will yeah. because now it's that those transactions are forever saved and you, doing mm -hmm. some police work, you could easily connect individuals yeah. with transactions. So um, on the one hand, if I buy a product from a from an online store. I don't want there to be stuff that you could figure out that would enable you by doing police work to figure out it was me. Mm -hmm. I want it to be entirely equivalent to cash for me. That's and that's Monero. the case with Tyler. Right. So that, that, that's Monero. So, but, so then where, where, so, but the gripe against Monero is, is taxes is that people may be, right. it's, it's that it's taxes. anonymous for the payee. Right. So, but aren't you okay with people just, you know, opting in to pay their taxes? I mean, isn't that the ideal no, scenario? Not. Absolutely not. So we need we, to make rich people pay taxes so that they contribute to giving everyone a decent life. That's the response. I'm sorry. Opting in, the, opting in the wrong word, but 
trusting that they'll they'll follow the rules and that they will they will pay not so not much necessarily i do believe that it's important to audit rich people's tax returns frequently mm -hmm. of course uh, the u.s pride. government has been plutocratist so but would you time. be a... and so one thing you might you'll find out if you investigate is that the irs audits a lot of poor people to yes. see whether they're cheating any way on their inadequate welfare benefits and tax benefits but it doesn't audit the billionaires very much so they get away with almost anything people need to pay their taxes uh audits sure but well, the point is, are you we suggesting there should there should be there should be a uh, a world where essentially the state is automatically taxing people and and taking their money? Uh, as I don't to, know. As opposed to people that's a different question. paying the taxes that are owed. That that's what that's I meant. That's a different question, and I haven't thought about that one. But the point is, it is different. Here, I'm talking about whether the the rich people that hide their income from the state and then of course they don't report it in their tax returns mm -hmm. i saw an estimate recently i might have been from the un that 10 percent of global wealth has been hidden in this way it's owned by quote offshore unquote companies of course offshore just means not in the country where the income is supposed to be recorded and taxed. Mm. So in various ways, that money gets, uh, or that income gets referred to some other country where maybe there is no income tax, or maybe it then goes to some other place and then it gets invested, but the, the, but the profits go to some company whose owners are secret maybe it's incorporated in nevis or one of those other places that does that there are various kinds of tax havens and the u.s for certain purposes is a tax haven uh i think delaware for some purposes is a tax haven uh the uk for some purposes is a tax haven uh belgium luxembourg ireland are tax havens for some purposes. And then there are the various uh, sort of obscure countries, for instance, Nevis, which basically exist to be tax havens. Now, you, you mentioned your, your, you know, your belief and support of the Fourth Amendment, so, you know, uh, against the legal searches and seizures from the government. So why wouldn't you then apply that to to money as well, right? So if everybody's... Uh, I don't know what that would mean. So if everybody's using money. Monero, let's imagine a scenario where everybody's using Monero uh, and they're using it to transact on a daily basis and then they're paying their taxes because the government's expecting them to pay their taxes. Well, they may or may not be paying their taxes. Well, they're, right? being, they're being... Just like they're, they're now being asked to pay their taxes in this scenario, right. they're also the being asked is, to pay their I believe that we need to enforce payment of taxes by auditing, especially rich people, because they 
Uh, right. So in this, so in this scenario, and I, I apologize for cutting you off. I just want to finish this scenario. In this scenario, I mean, with Monero, there's this thing called U keys, right? So let's say, know. you know, I don't know what those are. I don't know the details of Monero. Well, a view key is you can prov essentially provide someone the ability to see your wallet and your transactions without giving oh. up your private key. So in a scenario oh. where they see Doug Tooman and, you know, the government becomes curious as to whether or not I'm properly paying my taxes, they can come and audit me and I can provide view keys. I see. Is that a scenario you're then okay with? That sound, well, I don't know, but it does sound like a, a, an alteration for the better. I don't have, I don't know enough to evaluate this fully, mm. what it would imply morally. Like, could you make another key or another wallet and use that, a secret wallet that you'd never tell the tax authorities you have, you know, would that be a way to evade it? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, the, the answer may be known, just not to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, you, I, I, I heard you talk about what you saw as being um, essentially the most important or sensitive data. So, right, like where you are, uh, who you meet, and what those people are saying when they meet. Yeah. Um, how about how you spend your money and how you transact? Would you would you include those as being equally important? Almost, because a lot of things that you do don't involve spending money, but are very sensitive. In fact, the things that don't involve spending money may be the most sensitive. Uh, you can go some, well, however, spending money for transport, that's extremely sensitive because that's part of where you go. So uh, transportation systems that identify their users are, uh, are basically uh, platforms for repression. And likewise, if talking with somebody involves spending some money, and if spending money identifies you, that is repression right there. But, and in general, I think you should be able to buy things without identifying yourself. Well, yeah, also, isn't it potentially even a more valuable form of speech? So, you know, we, we, could, be no. saying, we could be saying things here, right? Uh, but then we could be spending our money differently as to what we're saying. You know that expression, put your... Put your money where your mouth is, right? I don't agree no. with the idea that money is speech. I think that that is a terrible decision uh, made by a plutocratist Supreme Court, and it's a disaster. So, so no, money is not have speech. The freedom to spend the well, yes, spend yes, their money yes, the way yes, they want yes. to? More or less, yes, but not by saying that the spending is speaking. But just because it's a part, it's a part of your life, and if they know every time you spend money, they know almost everything about you. Well, and that's unacceptable. Well, we ultimately, need anonymous money to spend. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the, the protections we're talking about, you know, the Fourth Amendment and then let's say like the First Amendment, re really what they're protecting, or at least my understanding of, of the Federalist Papers and the, you know, what this country is founded upon is protecting political speech and political activities and protecting the free flow of information and, and thought so that tyrannies can never persist in this country. Uh, by allowing the free flow of information and thought and political opinion, a, uh, a tyranny can never take root or take hold, right? So well, that's by where allowing it starts, people to but... speak freely and assemble uh, and, and, and practice their own uh, politics, they can ensure that they'll always have an opinion, even if that opinion is, happens to be a minority one. And then well, so yes, spending money, but, I just want to finish the point. So I, do you think spending money is, is similar to that? So let's say a scenario no, where you had a, a part a, of your life. Well, let's say but a scenario where is, you had a minority. Let me say, okay, can I answer? Can I just I want answer? to finish the point. I know it's a long point, but a point, you know, where you had a minority political party, right? And then you had people that wanted to support that political party. And now they're, they're, they could support it by sending money to, the, to this group because they support this idea, giving it the ability to support itself. Isn't that almost as important as speech at that point, being able to provide? Yes and no, but please let me tell you what I do think instead of trying to make me start from a different thing, which is not what I think. Sure. The reason why it's important in general to be able to spend money and, and buy things anonymously is that if the state knew what you buy, everything that you buy, it could repress you. So for the sake of having a free life in general, you must be allowed to buy things anonymously. Right. Now, in terms of contributions to political activity, I think that the contributions that are lawful, people should be able to make anonymously. But stopping billionaires from making giant contributions is also crucial for d democracy, at least as things are now. Now, I like the idea of of uh, public campaign financing where the people who donate small amounts get match attract mat much bigger matching amounts from the state mm -hmm. and that campaigns will be mainly funded this way and if this is strong enough and if the richest people are not too rich then maybe this makes it futile for rich people to donate especially if such donations are matched for the opponents so a billionaire gives five million to that candidate and the opposing candidates get their own five million to match it, uh, then it becomes futile to give that five million. Maybe that makes the problem go away. But we have a system now where wealth is so unequal, so unevenly distributed that maybe the billionaire could break the bank of the public campaign funding system. So, you know, we need to get rid of those giant fortunes. We need to uh, 
put on a wealth tax and we need to change the systems that give them so much money so that they don't get so much money anymore. But we're very far away from democracy in this country. And by what I mean by that is, wow, are they cheering us? <laughs> or booing, I don't know which one. Uh, anyway, uh, someone did a study looking at the outcomes of political decisions and correlating them with public opinion and found that since the mid-90s, there is no correlation in the U.S. The democratic input of public opinion is zero. The decisions are influenced by, A, special interests, the businesses that really care about that particular issue, and B, the very rich. Okay. So if I, we want democracy, sure. we've got to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what I think about, about all issues that are that affect that, that's a, that affect uh, how much the rich can influence politics. Mm. That's how I think about them. I'm so sure I'm on the one hand, you know, if I want to give $50 to some political cause, I, it would be good if I could do that anonymously. But if I wanted to give a million dollars, I think I shouldn't be able to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with, you know, understanding your, your worldview and, you know, your weighing, you know, your support for, for free software and software, uh, that doesn't take people's private data. But not just that, but basically software that is controlled by the users. And right. Free software is controlled by the users both individually and collectively. Right, and, and ultimately that, that your your passion for that stems for a very strong belief in liberty, is my understanding. Yes, but liberty does liberty doesn't mean that a billionaire has the liberty to buy elections. Understood. Buy and laws I, that yeah you know, per interests. But but liberty should mean that I have the liberty to spend my money as I wish and to transact no little digits no. around no distributed ledger without no. being stopped or spied on. I've already the the latter part okay, but no, you shouldn't be allowed to spend your money any way you wish. The more money you're talking about spending the more it needs to be put in check so that you don't get too much power to the point that you're dangerous for democracy and dangerous for other people's freedom. We see billionaires pushing workers into peonage. So you, you, we can't allow people to get that rich and we can't allow the ones who are not quite that rich, but nonetheless rich, to do whatever they like with their money. So maybe you don't have too much money. Maybe then you should be able to do what you like. <laughs> but uh, the point is that rich people shouldn't be, a, must not be able to do whatever they like with their money. 
because you see right, what they, they do. Rich people, rich people already have this advantage over people. We need to take it away from them. Or, or give everybody else uh, uh, essentially a weapon that can compete. But it does. It can't compete. provide them the same liberty that rich people already have. That wouldn't help. You see, they can use it to do big things, and you could only use it to do small things. So it's okay if you have it. I'm not against your having it because the little things you can do don't threaten everybody's freedom and don't threaten to take away everybody else's share of society's wealth. But when billionaires can do that, that's exactly what they do. We have had billionaires buying laws in this country for decades, and those laws advantage the rich and they may kill the poor. Yeah, and you know, th th that, that's a problem. And that's so a problem. how are we going to have democracy? But I'm sure you would agree that, that the internet overall has, has I, I would think you would say, has, has improved society, right? It's hard for me to be sure. When I look at the effects of Facebook and Twitter and even YouTube, I'm not sure whether they add up to good or bad. Even even the way Facebook, I'm sure, shouldn't exist. Mm. But there's all all the great right, all the liberty it's provided to people, access to information. For well, example, you know, it's yes, that's good. But we also see bad things happening. Although I think the bad, the worst things come from the algorithms that promote certain people's statements uh, because they make people upset and cause lots of quote engagement unquote. I think if we got rid of those algorithms, that the internet might start being safer for democracy. But mm. we see organized disinformation campaigns, and the worst one is the extreme right-wing disinformation campaign, which was championed by the wrecker while he was president. Yeah. And this is terribly dangerous. It's not, we haven't gotten rid of that horrible effect. We've only sort of half got rid of it. We can't fix what's wrong with this country now. And these things that are wrong are getting worse and worse. How about the, you, we saw the deplatforming of, of the president and others and essentially censorship that was impeded on them. How about if we just look at Monero as being a censorship-resistant communication protocol? Put okay, money I don't want. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't wish to ignore the fact that it's a protocol for payments. And well, payments it's, it's are really not just a distributed ledger. And it's I don't. No. Then people a have attributed that. Different from a communication. Now. Wait, I am not saying I, that Mon I don't know enough about Monero to judge it. Uh, I thought I knew more than I actually do know. Okay. You something I didn't know, and I don't know what its consequences and implications are. So I can't have a judgment now about Monero. What I'll say is that uh, for small amounts, it's probably harmless and good. But how do you how do you amounts, 
Right. How do you allow it to be used for small amounts and not large amounts? I don't know. I right. don't know. In the case of Monero, there may not be a way, or maybe there is. I don't know. Uh, it, you need a technical expert on Monero to see if there is a way to do that. It might be impossible because one person could have any number of wallets. And if with each wallet you could pay $1,000, well, with 1,000 wallets, you could pay a million dollars. Maybe there is no way to limit that, or maybe there is. I don't know. With Collar, uh, the plan is that uh, you wouldn't be able to get an unlimited number of Collars. There'd be a certain amount you could get per week and would be fine for your, for your purchases. You know, maybe you could get a thousand per week. There are I mean, not very many purchases that go beyond that. Mm. But I mean, cat. You said you only use cash, or you try to for most things. Um, yeah, there are for purchasing things. I only use cash. Right, but there, now, there, there are people that have a lot of cash, millions of dollars worth of cash. Yeah, are, but it's indeed once in a while they can make a payment of a million dollars with cash. But a million dollars of cash takes up bulk. In any case, I never make purchases that big. Uh, although, basically, the biggest purchases I've made have been things for which my name had to be on them. So anonymity was pointless, and no, I didn't use cash. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the same as with airline tickets. Right, so does, doesn't that doesn't credit that card because anonymity is, yeah, that might be, you know, problems. Maybe you know. If I want to go buy a house with Monero, I mean, whether I'm paying with Monero or going exactly to a bank. That's right. Right. You know, you, uh, I, uh, I bought an apartment, and uh, so I paid by check. So that maybe starts to, so maybe Monero could work, right? Maybe. Because... I, as I said, I don't know enough about it to know okay. whether it could be modified to be perfectly good from my point of view. I could only tell you the concerns I have, the problems that I worry about. And uh, one of them is to make sure that income gets taxed and not hidden. Because that problem is real and it's enormous. Uh, and reportedly, there are poor countries whose governments can't afford to provide schools for everyone and other basic things like that because they don't get taxes. Mm -hmm. The money gets uh, sent out of the country and it has no way of ever getting it back. Mm -hmm. Well, this so this is not just a theoretical problem. It's a horrible, grueling problem. What's, what's your ideal uh, vision for the world in terms of computing and software? Oh, okay. That makes it a little easier. My vision for the world, I don't... I don't think in terms of trying to come up with the ideal way the world should be because that doesn't help me decide what to do about the real issues of today. Uh, 
for that, all I need to know is what would make things better in regard to those issues. I don't need to have an ultimate perfection in mind. Uh, for computing, it's a bit easier. Basically, uh, people should use free software and only free software so that they're not being controlled and mistreated by software developers. And free software is the only way to avoid that. And the services that people use should be rather minimal and simple so that uh, you could develop another one so that you don't, you don't become trapped in one particular service. And they should have interfaces that are all documented so that you can write your own software to talk to those services and you know what data they're getting about you. And there's no way for them to collect any data secretly. The whole interaction is documented so the only data those services get is what you can see in the protocols they're going to get. And uh, they shouldn't ever send you software to run on your machine. Hmm. So no JavaScript. When I hear you say these things, you know, I, I agree with you, but I, I feel like, you know, from my point of view, um, say, you know, I agree with what you're saying, but you can replace the word free software essentially with Monero. So people, people should use Monero so that they, well, so well, they wait can't a, be wait controlled by uh, governments and corporations and so that they can control their own data and they you maintain You just did an invalid logical manipulation. You'll notice that I didn't say anything about which software people should use, mm -hmm. only that it should be free. Mm -hmm. I didn't say, well, then people should use Emacs because, because Emacs is free software. Well, I said, you should, whatever software you use, it should be free software. If you want it to be Emacs, well, okay. If you want it to be Monero, then within certain limits, okay. I'm worried about what rich people would do with Monero. I'm worried about their tax evasion. I'm worried about their uh, secret political spending. Maybe these have solutions within Monero. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you've shown me I don't know everything I would need to know about Monero to, to, to know whether, to determine whether those problems have solutions in it. I hope they do. Uh, but the point I made is simply that you shouldn't use any non-free software because that will be designed to mistreat you. Monero is free software. So on that yep. issue, it's good. We could check that box. Would you, would you consider becoming more involved in cryptocurrency and in particular Monero? I don't have time to be. Uh, I don't do software development anymore. I haven't for almost 20 years because I was involuntarily self-promoted into management. I am trying to lead people to fight for their freedom. And while there might be programs I could develop if, I, if it's still within my power to do so, I am 
about to be 68 years old. But the thing is, I don't have time to available to spend that way. But I don't have time available to become an expert on Monero or Bitcoin or Tyler or any other such complicated program. I leave it to other people. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Too bad. But uh, yeah. on the other hand, it's partly too bad. It's partly a consequence of success. Yes. Yeah. Your, 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 your time is valuable and you've certainly been a great success in what you've concentrated on in your life. I don't know if it's valuable, but it's certainly limited. <laughs> I'd say it's both. And uh, I appreciate you giving your time to me and coming on this show. Thank you so much. Happy hacking. <laughs> All right. That was a great conversation, sir. And uh, I, I hope to be in touch. Maybe we can get you to come on again sometime. Certainly. All right. When enough has happened so that it would be different. Got it. Happy hacking. Bye. Happy hacking. Thank you, Richard. Free software is the first battle in the liberation of cyberspace. Who controls your computer? Is it you or is it some big company that's really controlling it? Well, what is a computer? A computer is a universal machine. It will do any computation you want it to because you give it a program that says what the computation is that you want. So the computer only knows how to get out an instruction and do it and get out another instruction and do it. The program has the instructions. It says what to do. <clears throat> so you, by writing the right program, you can make it do anything. Well, almost anything. So who gives the instructions to your computer? You might think it's obeying your instructions when really it's obeying somebody else first and you only as much as that company wants it to will let it listen to you. With software, there are two possibilities. Either the users control the program or the program controls the users. It's inevitably one or the other. So in order for the users to control the program, they need the four essential freedoms. And that's the definition of free software. Free software respects the user's freedom and community. Now, we often call it Libra, using the French or Spanish word, pronounce it as you like. The point is, that's what we mean. We don't mean it's gratis. We're not talking about price. We're concerned with your freedom. And we sometimes say free slash Libra to show that. So freedom zero is the freedom to run the program as you wish for whatever purpose. Freedom one is the freedom to study the source code of the program and change it so it does the computing you want it to do. But what is the source code? Well, every program typically will have two forms. There's the form that you can read and you can understand if you know the programming language, that's the source. That's what programmers write and change. Then there's the executable, which is a bunch of numbers, which even a programmer can't figure out. If all you get is the executable, it's a horrible pain in the neck to figure out what it does 
and even harder to change it. So to give you the real possibility to study and change it, they've got to give you the source code. That's a requirement. Well, with those two freedoms, each user separately can make a copy and start changing it and make it do what she wants. That's individual control. But what if you're not a programmer? You look at the source code and you don't understand it. Individual control isn't enough. We also need collective control, which means any group of users are free to work together to adapt the program to what they want. Of course, in the group, some of them are programmers. They're the ones who actually write the changes, but they're doing it as part of the group for what the group wants. Of course, the group doesn't have to be everybody. So others can use it some other way. They're all free to do that. So. Collective control requires two more essential freedoms. Freedom two is the freedom to redistribute exact copies, to make the copies and then give them away or sell them when you wish. And freedom three is similar, but it's for your modified versions. You're free to make copies and then give them or sell them when you wish. So if you do have these freedoms, then it's free software, the users control the program. But if any of those freedoms is missing, then the users don't control the program. Instead, the program controls the users and the developer controls the program. So that means this program is an instrument of unjust power for its developer over the users. That means the users don't have freedom. That's non-free proprietary software, which we got to get rid of. Well, when you've got proprietary software, what happens? Sometimes the program snoops on the user. Sometimes it tracks the user. Sometimes it restricts the user and stops users from doing what they want to do. You can see that the blue ray is your enemy. <clears throat> Sometimes the software remotely deletes books as Amazon did with 1984. Uh, sometimes the developer compels users to install a harmful upgrade by threatening to take away other functionality if it's not installed, as Sony did. And sometimes they can even forcibly change the software at a distance, as Microsoft can with Windows through the universal backdoor. Um, so sometimes they even sabotage users, as Microsoft does when it tells the NSA about bugs in Windows so it can use them to attack people's computers. Well, what you get is basically with proprietary software, the owner has power over the users and takes advantage of this power, putting in those various malicious functionalities to hurt the users. Of course, they don't do this because they're sadists. They're doing it just for money, for greed. They have various ways that they can profit from having this power over users, which does not make it even the tiniest bit less evil. But they have no shame about it. They have conferences where they talk about the latest ways they can take advantage of users through the power they have. Uh, basically, proprietary software which in, is now from almost all the users of proprietary software, they're using proprietary malware. It's software for suckers. So how do you, how do you stop being the victim? Formally, you had to stop using computers, but not anymore. Now you can come join us in the free world that we've built. Uh, 
1983, I announced I would develop a completely free software operating system called GNU. In 1992, we had it almost finished, but one piece was missing, the kernel. Linus Torvalds in that year freed his kernel Linux, which filled the last gap and gave us the first complete system you could run on a PC, GNU plus Linux. So, unfortunately, having freedom at one point doesn't guarantee you'll keep it. There are over a thousand different variants of GNU slash Linux. They're called distributions. A few of them are entirely free software. Most of them have non-free software added because they're maintained by people who aren't concerned about freedom. They'd rather add convenience by, at the cost of freedom. So you have to check which is a free distro. To keep your freedom sometimes requires a sacrifice, sometimes a big sacrifice, as at Lexington. Sometimes, but, but in our campaign, they tend to be little sacrifices. Anybody with a little bit of maturity can make these sacrifices. For instance, you want applications, but some of them are non-free. If you want freedom, you gotta do without them. So there may be some inconveniences you have to suffer for your freedom's sake. Then many websites send non-free programs written in JavaScript to the user's browser. If you don't want to run non-free programs, you should install LibreJS, which blocks, keeps out non-free JavaScript. And sometimes servers will offer to do your computing. They say, send us all your data, obviously for suckers. Then the server does the computing and sends you back the results but you're not supposed to think about what's happening because it's a cloud and you don't see what's going on. Well, you should look. It's software as a service as a software substitute and it takes away control of your computing. So a large fraction of the world's web servers are running GNU slash Linux and other free software. But I think the most important computers to put freedom in are your computers, not companies' web servers, they deserve freedom also. But above all, it's people that deserve freedom. So uh, we need to advance. And to do that, we have to cross obstacles. One of them is there are big companies that make a lot of money by having control over users. And they don't want to let us advance. We have to overcome their opposition. Another is that the ma mainstream media don't talk about free software. They have a term that they use to bury these ethical issues. They say open source instead. Now, it talks about more or less the same programs, but with different ideas where free software activists say, this is a matter of right and wrong. Users deserve freedom. We demand freedom. The people who say open source, they don't want to say that. So instead they say, let the users change the software and redistribute it, and they'll make the code better. They'll fix some bugs. It may be true, but it's a less important issue. If we want to keep our freedom, we've got to talk about freedom. So say free software, and you're helping us every time. Another obstacle is that lots of schools teach non-free software, which is basically like teaching the kids to smoke tobacco. It's implanting dependence, which is the opposite of what schools should do. A school should prepare citizens to live in a strong, capable, independent, cooperating, and free society, which means teaching free software 
in the school. But there's another reason to do that for education. Some kids want to become programmers. They're curious. They want to know how the programs work. Well, the one who's studying a free software can understand it. The one who's studying a non-free program can't learn anything because the knowledge in the non-free program is withheld, denied to the students. So to uphold the spirit of education, the school should make sure its programs are free. But there's an even more important reason Schools should teach the spirit of goodwill, the habit of helping other people. So the class should say, if you bring a program to class, just as if you bring cookies to class, you've got to share it with everyone else. Can't keep it to yourself. You've got to share the source code so other people can learn. So don't bring any proprietary software to this class. The school has to set a good example by following its own rule. It should bring only free software to class, except as a reverse engineering exercise. Another obstacle is there's hardware we don't know how to write free software for because they won't tell us how to use the hardware. That's shocking. They want to sell you the product and they won't tell you how to use it. They say, here's a non-free program you can use. Run it and shut up. Don't bother us. Well, how do we find out how to run that hardware? With reverse engineering, you've got to study all those zeros and ones to figure out what they really do and write down how to use that hardware so someone else can write the free program to do it. It's hard work, but it can be done. If you want to make a big technical contribution, that's what you should do. Each new area activity of life can bring with it new human rights that are necessary. And the human rights depend on each other. If you lose one, it becomes harder to maintain the others. So nowadays, computing is so important in society that the freedoms of free software are among the human rights that society must establish and protect. Thus, how to help? Well, you can write free software. You can organize groups to campaign and persuade schools and governments to move to free software. You can help other people when they have trouble using free software or help them install it. You can say free software and spread the philosophical ideas. Moving to free software is the first step in the liberation of cyberspace. But of course, we also use the internet. We need other freedoms there, like network neutrality and putting an end to surveillance of people in general. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have an Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Monero Talk podcast. Go to monerotalk.live slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we are always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.